Isn't God good? <laughs> I was saying to somebody else uh, before the meeting, we're all, we're all damaged goods, aren't we? We're all damaged goods. But God took us and he made us real. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, the only thing you could do with damaged goods is to make it real. <laughs> because if you're damaged goods, you need something real from God in order to be any different. And thank God I can say this morning I'm different because God got hold of me and changed my value. I'm valuable to him now. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. All I've got to do is find where I start. Hallelujah. Well, I'm starting in Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 23 to 29. This is the story of Moses' life in a potted form. Uh, when you read it in Genesis, it goes on for chapter after chapter. But um, I think it was Apostle Paul, we wrote it out in, in just these few verses. Are you there? No. Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith. Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. Now, we all know the king had commanded that any children, male children of the Hebrews, were to be smothered at birth. But his mother saw that something special about him. Um, obviously, it was God-given. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assigned to do, were drowned. Very simple, isn't it? Now, if you read Exodus, we're in chapter 3, you find that... Uh, Paul was talking of uh, Moses as a man of faith. But uh, when we read the account of Moses' life, we find he was, he was in and out with God all the while. Uh, he started out, he, he was a child of faith because he was put into the river and the, and the princess of the king took him out of the river and brought him up as a child. And for 40 years he lived in the palace of the king of Egypt. But in spite of all that, he had something in him which was to bring deliverance to Israel from the Egyptians. Now 400 years pre uh, previously they'd come up into the land of Egypt with Joseph and they'd been a great... Joseph had been a great blessing to them and they'd multiplied in the land. There was over a million of them, males, I believe, at this time we're talking here. So from that 400 years, God used 
Egypt as a place where he could multiply them. They had a very special part of Egypt, the land of Goshen, which was the best part of Egypt. There was lots of grass, lots of water. It was a place that wasn't parched like the deserts where you see the pyramids and the other things. It was right in the delta of the, uh, of the Nile River. So God made provision for them there for 400 years. He even, uh, Abraham even talked about them going into bondage in Egypt and that he, he prophesied that after 400 years they would come out of Egypt. Um, and we know that, that this is what happened. God raised up Moses. So the whole progression of Moses' life was planned by God. Hallelujah. And you see, I just want to draw parallels between you, your life and Moses' life. But you see, in chapter 3 of Exodus, Moses was keeping the flocks. I, I skipped over the fact that he tried, tried to bring deliverance to the, to the children of Israel through killing an Egyptian. But it got him into trouble because uh, even the people of Israel said, well, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? So he had to flee for his life. And he went all the way across, I think he was in the, the northern part of uh, Saudi Arabia on the other side of the Red Sea. That's the way, why I see it. Um, the, see, the, the Horeb that they've got now, I, I believe, is not the one that Moses was in. He was in, he was in Midian which is in a different part of the, that Middle East country. It's just a throwaway comment. But, uh, and here he was. It says, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside he's to see, God called unto him out of the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw nigh, not nigh hither, put off the shoes off from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel is come upon me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress thee. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That was the calling of Moses um, in the wilderness. Now, he, it was 40 years since he had been escaping from, the, from Egypt because of what he'd done in killing the person. So it wasn't a short time that he was in the wilderness. He was there for 40 years. Uh, and you might think, well, why did God take all that time before he called him? We won't know. But we do know that he was 
bit in there in the wilderness keeping the sheep. And it's amazing how many people God used who were shepherds. You look, we think of David and others. They were, they were keeping the sheep. And it's a good learning process, <laughs> looking after sheep. <laughs> it must be, because it's pretty boring, I should think. <laughs> so you need some sort of other, <laughs> other contemplation to go on in your life. You're away from man and civilization most of the time, if you were keeping sheep in those days. And here was Moses, and he saw this sight, he saw this supernatural sight. Um, and God spoke to him about all sorts of things that he, he was asking him to do. And Moses came back to God and said, uh, if you read it in Exodus 4, I'm not going to paraphrase it all the way through, but I'm going to paraphrase it. He, says you're, he said to God, I'm slow to speak, I can't speak. Have you ever felt like that? I, I know people, when I ask them to come out here and testify or say, say what's on their heart, what God's put on their heart, they are slow to speak, some people. Just think, this man was a man who commanded the water to come out the rock, who put the staff up and the Red Sea was divided. But he was a man who was slow to speak. Um, he started out, when he, was, he started talking to Pharaoh, he started out using Aaron, his elder brother, three years older than him. Aaron spoke to Pharaoh for him first off and Aaron did the demonstration of throwing the, the stick down on the floor and the snakes uh, the snake coming out as, of the stick um, and Aaron did all that but you read on after that Moses took over uh, and he did he did find in the, his strength in ministry hallelujah and you will find strength in ministry when you get on your feet and say something you'll find Strength in ministry. But you don't only find strength in ministry, you can enter into the supernatural, like, like Aaron did. He threw the stick down and God did a miracle right there and then. What I've always liked about that miracle was this. The magicians of the Egyptians came and they did likewise. They all turned their sticks into serpents, but Moses' serpent ate all the others. So that's, that's having the final word in, in God, you see. Other people will, will do, the, do the supernatural and you'll think, well, that's the same as me. But what God gives you personally is yours. I'm always telling people this. Your testimony is personal to you. Nobody else can use that testimony. Even if you've, got, you've had great deliverance, you, I've found over the years that if you try and tell somebody else's testimony, it's not real. But the reason why your testimony is important is because it's real to you. And if it's real to you, it'll be real to other people. Hallelujah. It'll be real to other people. And don't be afraid to speak like Moses was, because you have a supernatural um, thing that will happen. When you start to speak, God will give you words. God will do miracles through your, through your speech. But look to God. I know you're damaged goods. I'm damaged goods. I'm damaged goods here this morning. But God can use me because I've, I've made a commitment to him that I'll speak for, speak for him and speak in him. Now we know that from there on there were numerous plagues. I'll read some of them. First he turned the water into blood. 
Then he sent frogs, lice, flies, sickness of animals, boils, hail and thunder, locusts and darkness. But the last um, plague was the worst plague. And that was the, the killing of all the firstborn in, in uh, Egypt. And this is where I want to focus this morning. So we're going to Exodus 12, verses 7 to 12. And it's talking about the blood covenant that God set up with, with Israel at that time to protect their houses, to protect their belongings, to protect their lives and the lives of the firstborn. And you'll see here, this is what Moses was instructed. And thou shalt take of the blood, this is after the sacrifice of the lamb, and strike it on the two side posts, of the up, on the upper door post of the houses, wherein thou shalt eat. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with all his legs and with the appurtenance thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until morning, that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thou shalt eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man, beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So this is the institution of the Passover and the blood covenant that God made with the children of Israel. Now this is, speaks of the covenant that God made through the law. And um, as you know, this all develops into the, the tabernacle in the wilderness and all the other things that Moses brought to pay, into place with the children in their travels. Now, I'd like to now turn to John chapter 6, if you'd follow with me. And we're in verses 54 to 59. put a little context on this. This is the chapter uh, which earlier in the chapter he'd fed the 5,000 or the 4,000 I think it was um, with bread on the mountainside uh, and uh, he'd journeyed from one side of the lake of Galilee to the other uh, and he was there in the morning and all the people that had been fed the night before um, were looking for him. And they came rushing from all sides across the lake and round the lake. And they found him. And uh, Jesus was obviously expecting them. And they were coming because of the bread that they'd eaten. They thought this was good. <laughs> Welfare was good. <laughs> they were after it. They thought, we, we could do this every day. <laughs> Fish and bread for now. It's human nature, isn't it? But Jesus had a lesson to teach them. And uh, 
I think these words, well, we start in verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Hallelujah. And we, you, if you read on, you'll find they, they took umbrage at that, the people he was speaking to, because they'd come hoping to be fed, and here was Jesus saying, you've got to eat of me. You see, it's, it's like everything. Welfare's brilliant, but it doesn't give you anything to build on. It's a subsistence life. I know it's good to have something to fall back on, but Jesus never intended us to live on welfare. Hallelujah. He wanted us to live on him. You see, when, God, when you've got something from God in your life, things start to happen. Hallelujah. Not dependent on man anymore, you become dependent on God. And this is what Jesus was trying to teach them. Um, they, were, they, were, they were in it for what they could get. But he said, you've got to eat and drink of me. Now we all know what he was speaking about there because he was talking about the table um, where we remember Jesus and what he did for us. Where we eat his, his flesh and we drink his blood. It's, it's a way of us becoming... Uh, Part of the covenant of God, the New Testament covenant. This is, this is what Jesus is speaking about here. Um, so if we could go to Hebrews 9, verses 6 to 14. Are you there? It says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So there was the outer court, then there was the first, as it says here, the first tabernacle inside the curtains, and then behind the other curtain inside was the Holy of Holies. And what he's saying is that the, the priests were there ministering throughout uh, time. But then, once in, the, once in, the life, uh, in a year, they had to go behind the, the, the curtain, the veil of the temple. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on him until the time of reformation. 
But Christ being come, and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building or creation, not of this creation, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hallelujah. So this is the new covenant, the new blood covenant that God made with us. You see, God makes covenants through blood. Now the world doesn't understand that. They don't understand that the, the blood of Jesus that cleanses from all sin. They don't understand that in that covenant it's not just the cleansing, but there's a clear conscience, as it says there. He comes to deal with our conscience. Hallelujah. That's why Paul was, says that in another place, there is no, therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Hallelujah. He deals with the old man and the old life and he gives us hope that we might live in newness of life through the blood sacrifice. Now, uh, you won't hear the blood talked about a lot in certain circles, but the blood is very important to us you and me, brother and sister. That's why when we take that, uh, that time around the, table, the Lord's table, it is important. It's not just, the blood is not there just for a cleansing. You know, uh, some people say, well, clean, that's cleaned up all my sin. <laughs> that's not there for that specifically. It's there to, to join you to Christ, to give you the power of a overcoming life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's too much focus on sin rather than what, what God intended it to be was a way of, of connecting positively to, the, to him. Now, you know the blood covenant, the Red Indians, they used to cut their finger and they, they, both of them, then they, they'd do that and uh, they'd be joined as brothers. Well, that's, that's what it really what it really all about. It's a blood covenant between us and God. And the blood seals the covenant. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And nothing can... See, this is a wonderful thing. Michael would tell you this. We had that experience several times, didn't we, Michael? When you were being tempted of the devil, we had to use the blood, didn't we? We had to use the blood. Because the, the power of the blood, it, it, it separates... The devil from God's people. It separates you. It's, it's a barrier that the devil cannot cross. Hallelujah. There's no way. You see, if you plead the blood, he's got no, nothing to stand on. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus talked so seriously to, the, to those people. Before he died, he was telling them, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And unless we honour this covenant and by believing it and using our faith to believe it, that God has placed us in this covenanted position, it's wonderful. Hallelujah. You, are, you have a special relationship 
with God. Hallelujah. And nothing can destroy that. Nothing can destroy it. Hallelujah. So we go back to Hebrews 11. And we see that throughout Moses' life, faith was operating. Now when you read the text of, of what was happening with Moses, you don't see much faith evidenced. But you see, the faith that Moses used to overcome Pharaoh was imputed to him through faith. Moses opened the Red Sea through faith. God gave him the faith. You, you read his life, he, 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 it's quite interesting. He's, he was just like us. He, he kept on saying, how, how can I go and talk to Pharaoh? I have uncircumcised lips. I believe he was circumcised when he was a baby. But he was talking about his lips. Not the act of circumcision. But he was saying, how can I speak? You see, it's, it's all in the speech. He wouldn't have brought the children of Israel out if he hadn't learned to speak for God. And I want to tell you this. We've got to learn to speak for God. Hallelujah. It's through faith. If you'll just say, Lord, I'm, 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 I've got uncircumcised lips. You can say that like, like uh, Moses did. It's not the circumcision, it's not upon your lips, it's upon your heart. Hallelujah. You see? Where your heart leads you by the Spirit, he will make provision. He made provision for, for Moses. I, I don't know, you, Moses, you read that whole story, it's quite amazing. You know, he went through all sorts of things. It says at one point, which I, I don't totally understand, it says God tried to kill him. If you read it when he was travelling on the way to Egypt with his wife and son, it was something to do with the, his wife and son because she was a Midianite and, he, and I doubt she was what we would term uh, a godly person because they circumcised uh, his son at this inn uh, you, you see, nothing was right in Moses' life when he started out. Nothing was right. He was, he was in a mess. He was a failed man. That's why he was a shepherd. He didn't look like a man that would lead people through the wilderness. You might say, I don't look very promising as far as God's using me. You don't know what God can do with you. I want to encourage you this morning. If I, we've, we've started opening up the, after the preaching and whatever, we've started to open the meetings up for people to speak. Now you can use your faith to speak. I would like a church that would speak for God wherever they went. That's what I would like. You know, we, what we're finding is we're being led, as, as uh, Luke will tell you, into a different way of dealing with people when we're on the street. We are talking to them and engaging with them rather than trying to project ourselves uh, from, a, from a platform. You see, we, we're not there to emphasise the, the difference between us and the people on the street. We're there to emphasise something that we have in what we can say and what we can do. I believe 
we can bring deliverance on the street. Hallelujah. You see, it's, Moses, I don't think he'd got anywhere if he couldn't have thrown the stick down and the supernatural come into being. Everything that convinced Pharaoh was supernatural. I, I know Moses told him what was going to happen before it happened. Pharaoh didn't believe him. Each time Pharaoh didn't believe him, you know. He kept begging Moses, take it, take it away, take it away. And the moment he took it away, <laughs> he was back to where, Moses was back to where he started. Pharaoh said, I'm not letting you go. But you see, he persevered. And we need to persevere. We need to be the voice of God, wherever we are. We need to speak for God. Now, you say that's daunting. Um, I don't think I'm meant to be doing that. You're meant to be doing it. Hallelujah. You see, I can remember, not exactly my age, but 18 or 19, the first time I ever said anything for God, somebody pushed me out on the street and I had to give a testimony, my testimony on the street in Ilford. I can remember it today. It's a, a real challenge to me. And I had to talk for Jesus for the first time in my life. I was absolutely shattered by it. It, it, it really threw me. But I'm here this morning because I took that little step. Somebody pushed me, and I'm pushing you a little bit, to take a, lot of, take a little step and talk about Jesus to people. You don't have to get in their face. Just show them the reality of what God's done in you. Hallelujah. It's reality that people and the world are seeking reality. They, they know the message that we give them from a distance, but they don't know the heart-to-heart -heart thing that we have in Jesus. There's something in you and in me that will touch people's lives and change them. Supernaturally. I thank God for the supernatural. Hallelujah. Look for the supernatural. Have faith to believe for the supernatural. Because it's, it's your right to have supernatural experiences wherever you go. God to show his hand in your life. Because that's the thing that will change the situation. Hallelujah. The children of Israel have still been in e Egypt. If Moses hadn't have instituted uh, the sacrifice and the putting of the blood around the door, you see, that blood was a protection to the children of Israel. That blood that Jesus shed is a protection to you. It covers you. It's, it's on the, you know the song we sing, I've got the blood on the door of my heart. All my life is under the blood. Hallelujah. You're covered under the blood. You have a covering of the blood. And nothing can pass that. Hallelujah. I just thank God for that this morning, for the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, which keepeth our beings. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.